the book of Nehemiah this morning. Next week we'll finish Nehemiah. Tonight we'll do the sermon on Nehemiah because tonight the message where we get to in the book of Nehemiah, what happens is what we see take place there is, um, where did my mind go? I just lost my train of thought. That's what happens when you're like me. My train of thought comes in one ear and it goes right out the other sometimes instead of staying right there in the middle where it needs to stay. But they did, they're thanking God and worshiping him for his help in getting the wall built. And I thought with night of worship, it'd be a great time to focus on that tonight. And so this message here, I wrote this message probably six months ago, eight months ago, maybe closer to a year, somewhere in there. I never felt the Lord leading to preach it. And then I felt today, today was a good time. The Lord would have it. Avoiding spiritual shipwreck. I think we live in a day today It'd be very easy for many Christians to become shipwrecked in their Christian life. I want to remind you of something as we dive in. It's not the Lord's fault. He holds us fast. He's right there. But you think about the story of the prodigal son. There are many people who have different opinions about the prodigal son. To me, that's not picturing a lost person because he's a son. The picture there is the fact that the father lets the son go. The father's waiting for the son to return. Picture of backsliding. If you disagree with that, you could be right and I could be wrong. But we'll ask the Lord when we get to heaven and he'll tell us the truth of what it really was. Shipwreck happens. No one's immune to it. There are several ways to help avoid it and things we can do. But we look at today, the age that we live in. The Bible talks about as we get closer to the Lord's return, that many are going to fall away. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? concerning the faith. We see about two men that we're going to look at in the scriptures this morning. We see that they became spiritually shipwrecked as they put away the faith. Why don't you take your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 1 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. If you didn't get an outline and you'd like a copy of the outline, if you slip your hand up, Anthony would be glad to get that for you. Anybody slip your hand up if you need a copy? Everyone good? All right, just right back there, in the, and I think we're good. All right, 1 Timothy chapter number 1, verse number 18. This chart, let's read verse 17. Verse 17, look at this. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that deserves an amen, and amen, and amen, and one more amen. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Now look here. Which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they, learn, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So we see that Paul gives Timothy some thoughts here. He gives him five things to do to avoid spiritual shipwreck. He also tells him what the others did to become spiritually shipwrecked. We see there in verse number 19, which some having put away faith, put away concerning faith, have made 
shipwreck. Father, bless the next few minutes we have this morning. We need you. We need your help. I thank you for church and the opportunity we get to have it and be in your house. We need you. We love you. Bless this day and all it's said and done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. On April 10th, 1912, the Titanic left her berth at the harbor of Southampton, England. It was the maiden voyage of this 882-foot-long ocean liner that had been billed as unsinkable. She carried with her 2,228 passengers and crew. Most of the passengers paid thousands of dollars to sail on this great luxury liner. Four days into the voyage on April 14, 1912, severe ice warnings were received from the area through, the, through which the Titanic was sailing. These warnings were ignored, and the Titanic may, maintained her course for New York Harbor. And at 11.40 p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side of her bow. She began to take on water at an alarming rate. Within three hours, the Titanic and 1,523 of her passengers were at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Only 705 of the original 2,228 persons survived that great shipwreck. Since 1912, people have tried to figure out what happened to the ship. Remember, they deemed it unsinkable, right? And it sunk. Most people would agree that the tragedy was a mixture of things, including negligence, apathy, greed, pride, and incompetence. In other words, if proper steps would have been taken by the captain and crew, this did not have to happen. But since those steps were not taken, many lives were lost, and the boat that was deemed unsinkable sank. There have been many ships that have been shipwrecked throughout the years. We go back to Paul, and remember Paul on his travels was shipwrecked. And after all Paul went through and all these different things, Gilligan and his other passengers were shipwrecked on the island. Three-hour tour that turned out to be a lot longer. But thank God that island had so much stuff they could build to the huts and do all the things that they did. And uh, it's real interesting if you really look up shipwrecks and how ships, what happens to them. Do you know a lot of them don't, the shipwreck doesn't happen on sea? It's on land. And you, you look it up, you'll be interested when you see that. But our text this morning, as we look into it, as we dive in here, we're not talking about physical ships being wrecked. We're talking about spiritual lives being wrecked. And this morning, as we dive into the message, I hope you'll pay attention for the next little bit. And I want you to understand something. You don't have to end up like the Titanic. You don't. You don't have to end up like many other ships. You can make it. And maybe this morning, Pastor, I've gotten to that point, and I am, I am shipwrecked. Well, praise God, he's still got super glue, gorilla glue, duct tape. God can wind things back together and get you back up on top of things and help you move forward today. You can. Thank God we serve a God who's forgiving. Thank God we serve a God who is who he is. And that's one of the reasons why Paul gave these two men over to Satan that maybe that they get humbled and get right and come back. 
Very similar to what Paul told the church in Corinth to do with the man in adultery. We'll look at that more in a few minutes. Number one, as we dive in, talking about avoiding spiritual shipwreck, number one is the reality of spiritual shipwrecks. As I mentioned here, Paul calls out two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. We don't know a lot about these men, but we do know that they became a problem for Paul and for the early church. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy about Hymenaeus, and when we look at him, what the Bible says, and their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus. When we think of um, Hymenaeus here, and as we look at him, probably it looks like he began to teach false doctrine is what he started to do. Then you've got Alexander, and the Bible tells us in chapter 4, verse 14 of Timothy, 2 Timothy, Alexander the, scop- the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. And I don't know if Alexander had been hurt and became bitter and had a mean spirit, but his goal was to go against the things of God. So you have Hymenaeus and Alexander are the two that are mentioned here. Now what I want you to understand is about the realities of spiritual shipwreck. No doubt everyone in this room could think of someone or someones who have become shipwrecked in their life. I mentioned last service a while back at Russ's house. And he had a guy on the TV preaching. And man, that guy could preach. I'd never had heard him before. And he, he preached. And I was like, wow. So I looked him up afterwards. That was early 80s was the time that I heard him, that sermon. And late 80s, early 90s, he had an affair or, you know, adulterous relationship and totally messed up his ministry. It's like, wow, shipwrecked. In my life, I think of the place I went to college, the pastor there sits in a jail cell today, and not because he opened up his church. Shipwrecked. I've been in church a long time. You ever wonder, you look around sometimes, it's like, where did so-and-so go? They're just done. I'm really worried in our world today. We have so many people who call themselves Christians. And we look at everything going on around us today. And I think that you look at it, we're going to see who the true Christians really are and who are not. Shipwrecked. Don't become a casualty. And this is what happens. We look and we say, well, it would never happen to me. You know what we need to remember this morning, church? Spiritual shipwrecks don't just happen to the other guy or your neighbor or the other church member. It can happen to any one of us at any time. No one sitting in this room this morning is immune to it. Don't scoff at the danger. You say, oh, pastor, I would never. I think David would say he never would have done the things he did. Didn't Peter say, I will never deny you? Yet he did. I don't think Hymenaeus or Alexander thought in the beginning that they would do the things that they did. No one is immune from it. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. The book of Proverbs tells us that pride goeth before destruction 
in a haughty spirit before a fall. Don't get thinking, you're okay, I'm good. That's when you're most in trouble. When you start saying to yourself, I'm good, watch out, okay? The reality is, it could happen to any of us. Number two, what are the reasons? The reasons for spiritual shipwreck. Paul tells us in this passage the two, these two men suffered shipwreck was because, look at there in verse number 19, holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. We see the reason right here before our eyes. The reason that Hymenaeus and Alexander became shipwrecked spiritually was because they put away the faith. What does it mean to put away? This phrase means to thrust or push away. It re, it, it, its idea here refers to an intentional turning from truth to error. Great example. This is all truth. Am I correct? This is truth. There is no other absolute truth in this world than this book. No news, no television, no person. This is absolute truth. So what did they do? They took the truth and pushed it aside. You ask sometimes, how could a Christian get so messed up in some wacky doctrine? What's truth? Push it aside, you can open yourself up to anything else. What's truth? The book, the Word of God, that is truth. How did these men, how did Hymenaeus, how did, how did Alexander, how did they become shipwrecked? They put away the truth. They pushed it aside. And Christian, man, I just remind you today and help you today, we need the truth. We need to hold close to faith. And we'll talk more about that at the end of the message this morning. But we got to stick to the truth. we got to hold on to the truth. In the case of Hymenaeus, we know the fact that he was teaching false truth false doctrine. For Alexander, we see the things that happen with him. And may I just say today, that can happen to any of us. That's why it's so important in these days that we live, and we live, you got to understand something. We really don't have it that bad. We don't. It's bad for us because we're used to everything being so wonderful around us. But last time I checked, we're not being crucified on a cross upside down for preaching Jesus. We get a letter in the mail. We get threatened with a fine. That's not really... Can you imagine we get to heaven? We're walking down the street, and James comes up. James says, hey, how's it going? Good. What, what, what did you go through for the cause of Christ, man? I got a letter in the mail. They told me, they told me to shut the doors of the church because they, they didn't want this virus to get all of us. And I got a letter in the mail. What did you go through? Oh, I preached Christ, and they beheaded me. We don't suffer. We don't suffer. Could it get worse? It could. And then it's time for real Christians to stand up. You know, before this whole thing started, I used to preach it often. Bless God, when they say we can't meet for church, we're going to meet for church. And yet, a third of our church hasn't come back. 
Now, I understand bad health, other things. But if you go and live your life and do all sorts of other things, but you don't come to church because the government tells you not to, shame on you. And, you know, we talk about voting. If someone can stand in line at Walmart, they can go vote. Sorry, I just think that that's, I don't see a difference there. They don't have to take their mask off. They don't have to do anything else. You can go vote. I'll leave that there. Who does care about your health? They care. Government cares nothing about you. All they want is control over you. That's what they want. And let's make sure we understand, we, to the best of our abilities, Christians, need to follow and submit to our authorities. We do. But there comes a point where you say we obey God rather than men. And too many Christians don't know the difference between the two. Too many Christians are stuck on Romans 13 Christianity, but they don't understand Acts chapter 5 Christianity. We've got to obey God rather than men. If we can do both, I would love to do both. But if you've got to make me choose between God or governor, sorry, governor, God wins every time. Every single time. But we look around us today, there are many Christians really struggling today. They are. I'm very concerned. Those of you watching online today, our fellow church members that are watching, please, please take heed to the message this morning. God called me, tomorrow will, be, tomorrow will be 20 years since God called me to pastor. As a teenager, I remember the day God called me, August 17th, 2000. It'll be 20 years tomorrow. And it's, it'll be next month 10 years of pastoring here. It's the joy and privilege of my life to be a pastor. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, God, I thank God for his calling. And I'm not worthy of it, don't deserve it in any way, but I'm thankful that he called. But I love the people that God gives me. And I hurt for a lot of people because I see a lot of things. And my job as I'm, our chief shepherd's Jesus, my job as the under-shepherd is to help keep an eye on things as well. Please take heed this morning to the message. When we put away faith, it's very easy to become spiritually shipwrecked. Right now in our country and in our world, fear is big. Fear and faith cannot coexist. They don't. Fear and faith don't and they can't. If you're fearful, you lack faith. If you have faith, fear goes away. And what I feel that we're doing today is, not you, you're, you're the good Christians, right? You're at church. But I feel Christians in general are pushing this away and buying into everything else around us. Just so you know, did you realize today statistically you had just as much chance of dying of coronavirus as you did getting in your car coming to church today. And yet you don't think twice about getting in your car to come to church or driving anywhere or to Walmart or Target, whatever is your store, or Stater Brothers, right? <laughs> whatever the case may be. So if I get in my car, nothing's going to... 
not a lot's going to happen. Exactly. How do you live your life? Do you realize something today? If you believe God is who he says he is, and you realize God has a time for us, I have an expiration date. And guess what? I don't know when my expiration date is. It could be today. It could be 40 or 50 years from now. It could be tomorrow. I don't know. But there's nothing I can do to change that. When it's my time, it's my time. Now, would I rather go in my sleep or be on a ventilator? Yeah, I'd rather go in my sleep. You know, I'd rather go in my sleep out of those two. But we live in, and you say, well, then if it's that way, then I can just, I can just live my life any way I want, eat all the ice cream I want to, all, you know. Take care of what God gives you. I can preach that a little bit better now since I've lost almost 90 pounds, did my blood work on Friday. The past couple of years, the doctor's been getting after me that my cholesterol is starting to go up and things, and then blood pressure medicine. No more blood pressure medicine. My cholesterol numbers are back down to normal. And so you do need to take care of yourself. But you also got to live your life. And don't live it in fear. Live it in trust of God. This is the problem. We got to stick to this book. We have to. We have to. When we see Hymenaeus and Alexander, their big problem was they got, they pushed it away. They pushed away the faith. And they became shipwrecked. You know, something, the move from going straight and narrow to being shipwrecked doesn't happen all at once. You know, I don't think David woke up one day and said, you know what? I'm just going to mess everything up. That's my goal today. Peter didn't wake up and say, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to deny you. No, there's baby steps. There's gradual things that take place to get to that point. Eve didn't wake up one day and say, guess, guess what, God? I'm going to eat the fruit and sin and Adam. No, she started talking to the serpent. There's a progression. Sometimes in our Christian life, we just could be sin. You know one thing that makes people shipwreck sin? We get into sin. We get away from God. We backslide. Backsliding is a real thing. You know, people say, uh, there, are, there are people out there that say that backsliding is not real. Then what, you lose your salvation? I'm glad I don't serve a God that every time I mess up, he erases my name out. How would that be? Ever thought about that? Uh, okay, Brian's been a good boy today. Brian's name's in the book of life. <sighs> Brian messed up today. He erased his name. Now let's wait and see. No, he holds me fast. He, I'm in his hand. He's not in my hand. Nothing can separate me from his love. That's a wonderful thing. Don't ever forget that. Many people don't realize that, but backsliding does happen. We drift off just a little bit. And as we look at this today, you see, what are the reasons for spiritual shipwreck? They put away the faith. That's the reason. That's what the Bible says, very clear and plain before our eyes. What are the results? Number three, the results of spiritual shipwreck. Man, Paul, went, Paul gave it to him. You know, that's quite, quite look at verse 20 there. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they learn not to blaspheme. That's pretty, that's pretty powerful stuff right there. That was not a little thing. That was a big thing here. 
They were delivered to Satan. That was the most extreme punishment available for the church when someone got away from the Lord. And basically, and you know, it's basically their fellowship with the brother and all that. They were on church discipline. We don't talk about church discipline at all today. Nobody's using that stuff anymore, but it is in the Bible, just so you know. But what was the, and may I just say, when there was church discipline, the result was to restore relationship. It was to get them back to God. Paul gave them over to Satan, not so that Satan would have them forever, but so maybe they would learn and come back to God. Every person in this room needs to understand something this morning. Our sin, what we do, no one's sin is in a vacuum. Your sins and my sins, they have consequences, and we reap what we sow. The Bible tells us that, be not deceived, God's not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And there are consequences to sin. We say, what are some of the consequences? Chastening, right? What does the Bible tell us in Hebrews 12, verse number 6? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son in whom he receiveth. Sometimes I feel like the Lord really loves me. Sometimes, because that extra chastening, he, he loves us. May I just say, parents, if you love your children, you discipline and train them. May I put a little plug in here, right here? If maybe people did a better job of disciplining and training their kids, we wouldn't have all the craziness on our streets today. Ooh, isn't that true? Yeah, I think that's true. Maybe our jails wouldn't be so filled. Oh, wait, they're releasing half of them anyway, so that makes it. Think about this one. This is just put, put in your head and save this for later. If masks really work, why do we need to release inmates? Just give them a good mask. Right? Maybe and someone said, well, maybe they're clearing all them out so they can put preachers in. I don't think they're going to do that. Crazy. But I wonder what would have happened. You look, I, I, saw, I saw a statistic the other day that under the age of 30, almost 70% under 30 wouldn't mind in a socialist country. No clue. 45 and older, it's less than 12%. But may I just put this little thing in here? It's that older crowd or middle crowd that didn't teach your younger crowd. You look at it. We could blame our universities today, our public school system, and not all. There are great teachers out there. I'm not blaming all the teachers. But the stuff that's being pumped into our kids, it's why this is happening. And if you got to understand something. It is a parent's job to train their children. You know, a church, it's not my job to train your kids. It's my job to help but it's your job to train your kids and train them in the things of God. The church comes alongside and gives them and backs up what you're teaching them. And then if your kids are in a Christian school, that backs it up even more, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Isn't that what the Bible talks about? But the problem is 
There's a lot of, not much discipline going on anymore. Parents, train your children to do what's right. Make sure you understand, I'm not telling you to abuse. There is no spot for abuse or to discipline and anger. But the Lord loves us. He chastens us. If you love your children, you will discipline them and train them. That's Bible. We'll leave that there. We can chew on that later on. I was spanked as a kid, and I'm okay. I probably deserved it more than what I got it. My parents never did it in anger, and you never should either. I can never look back and say I was abused. I was not. And there's a balance on how you do things. You don't leave bruises on your kids. Sometimes you, you say, why do you even mention that? Because if I don't, someone's going to say, Pastor said I'm supposed to di-. No, you need to lovingly discipline. Isn't that what we see with the Lord? But there, you do need to discipline. Because otherwise, it's not going to get any better around us. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And you can't imagine it getting much, much worse than what it is, but it can. We see the results. We see the chastisement comes. How about the loss of one's testimony? What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 9.27? He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And you know, we got to understand, that was one of Paul's fears. Paul's fear was that he would preach these things and he himself would be a castaway. That's, that's a tough one for me. You know, sitting right here, my wife sits right here. She lives with me. She knows me. She knows what I preach and how I live. My kids can hear me preach, and they know how I live. And that worries me some. And testimony is important, not because I'm worried about what people think of me, but you look at it, how many pastors have blasphemed the name of Christ by the things they've done in their lives? The place I went to college the pastor that was there when I was there sits in a jail cell today, and not because he has opened his church. He did things he shouldn't do. And that brought nothing but shame to the cause of Christ. And that's the last thing I would want, is to bring shame to the wonderful name of Jesus. We see the results of it, and there are real results. Things happen. And let me just say, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it this morning. We see, and where I'm going to spend most of my time on the message today, is the remedy. How do we get over being shipwrecked? Or how do we avoid being shipwrecked? Five things, five-part prescription. If you were to go to the doctor and you sat down with the doctor and and you said you had a cold or something, they would give you maybe some medicine or something to give you a prescription to go fill Paul gives us a prescription on how to avoid being shipwrecked or how to get up from it. Five points will be done this morning. Letter A, as we look at this this morning, we see it lies in following. How do we, you say, what do you mean? The remedy, it starts out, it lies in following. Paul lays out five steps. What Paul says in verse number 18 here under inspiration. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and of a good conscience, which some have put away concerning We see, he says, he's given him a charge. That's a military word. 
It refers to a superior issuing a command to a subordinate. Paul's telling Timothy he has a responsibility to listen to what he told him to do. That's what I see right here. May I remind you today as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have been given the book. We've been given the commands. We've been given everything that we need right here in this book. And just as Paul charged Timothy, God himself has charged us with his word. You and I are to follow his word. We are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, right? The Bible tells us James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. And I want you to understand, we have a, we're supposed to obey and follow God's word. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like to a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Man, we need Christians that will not only hear it, but do it. That's what the Bible says, right? And so we look at this first point here about how the remedy for spiritual shipwreck, it takes God at his word and just do what he tells you to. Follow him, be a doer of the word. Paul tells Timothy, hey, I've charged you, do what I've told you to do. Hey, Christian, get in the book and just do what it says. And really, if you love God, you'll do what he says, right? There are many people out there that say, I love God so much. And what was Jesus' response? If you love me, keep my commandments. He that hath my commandments, verse 21, and keepeth them, it is that loveth me. Oh, but pastor, I love God. A lot of people say that. You know what the Lord says is proof that you love him? When you obey him. When you keep his commandments. And the rest of the verse says, and he that loveth me shall be loved to my father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Our obedience proves that we love the Lord. And the verses aren't back there, but 1 John 2, you can scribble this in your notes and look at it later if you want to. 1 John 2, verse 3 through 5, our obedience proves that we're saved by the grace of God as well. Your relationship to the Word of God is so important. Be a doer. So what's the remedy for avoiding spiritual shipwreck? It lies in following God's commands, number two, or letter B. It lies in fulfilling. It lies in fulfilling. You say, what do you mean by fulfilling there? Paul tells Timothy here, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy. Look at this phrase here. According to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. Paul reminds Timothy of the prophecies that had been issued concerning his life. Prophecies maybe about his, the success in ministry, his blessing in ministry. And he's to flesh out those prophecies through his life and ministry for the glory of God. You know, Paul didn't give us specific prophecies about you and me. But do you know the Word of God has given us several? 
say, Pastor, I just can't win this battle. Hey, Romans 8, 37, nay, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. That's from the Bible. Say, Pastor, I just don't think I can get the victory today. The Bible tells us 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us 1 John 5, verse number 4, you want to know how we overcome this world? For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Do you see that there? What overcomes this world? Faith. Faith is the victory. All glorious victory that overcomes the world. It's faith. So when you're Hymenius and Alexander and you put away the faith, you're going to become shipwrecked. Why? Because you put away the faith. Faith is what overcomes this world. How can a Christian living in fear today overcome this world? You can't. If fear is the primary factor and focus in your life right now, you are a prime candidate for being shipwrecked. We need faith today. And see, it lies in following, or be it lies in fulfilling, and let her see it lies in fighting. It lies in fighting. Paul tells him, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. See, it lies in fulfilling, it lies in following, it lies in fighting. Timothy is reminded, hey, Timothy, you didn't, when you got saved, when you started living for the Lord, you didn't enter a, the, the Lord's playground. Guess what, Christian? When you got saved, you entered a battlefield. You were drafted, and you had no choice in the matter. And from the moment of salvation on, you in battle. And that battle takes place every day, every moment. There's nothing you can do to get out of the battle, except for the day when we get victory and this immortal puts on immortality. And you get to be with Jesus. And praise God for that day. But as long as you live and have this flesh, there's going to be a spiritual battle taking place. And we got to remember that. Don't, don't forget that today. You got to Ephesians 6, verse number 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You see today, our battle is not Governor Newsom. Please get that in your head. Our battle is not Democrat, it's not Republican today. That's not our battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Biden. My prayers are against him getting in. But anyways, we'll drop that there. Oh boy, did I say that in church? I did say that. Four years ago, I, some people left our church because I said I didn't think it was smart to vote for Hillary Clinton. I just don't know as a Christian how that's possible. And wait for a couple weeks from now when I hand out a paper to you about what the Democratic, what their national guide says on key topics and what the Republican side says. Say, Pastor, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I tend to be more Republican. But I'm not really, I really don't care about either one. I vote biblically. That's how I vote. Biblical things matter. So what I do is I look at a candidate, where do they stand on abortion? And Miss Harris is fine with abortions all the way up till birth. 
Mr. Uh, Mr. Pence is against abortion. Joe Biden doesn't even know what he's for or against at this point. And President Trump is against abortion. I think that's pretty easy to figure out as a Christian. But I couldn't believe the other day I heard a lot of Christians are excited about the Biden-Harris ticket. You know what the problem is? They're either not real Christians or they've pushed the faith away. They say, Pastor, you shouldn't get into all those deep things. Someone's got to. Someone's got to. Because, and we'll, no, we'll stop there. I'll get, I'll, later on in the year, we'll get into further things. We'll get into that a little bit deeper. We're in a fight. But we're not in a fight with Biden. We're not in a fight with Newsom. We're not. This is a spiritual battle. Don't you see that? We're in a spiritual battle. We hear all around us today we're in a physical battle with this coronavirus. I get it. You don't want to get it. But this is what they're going to try and do. You're either going to get it or they're going to try and give you a shot to get it in you. So one way you're going to get it, in their eyes, right? I'm just saying, I'm not, because if you get a vaccine, that means they're putting it in. And they're going to put the chip in you, and it's going to be the mark of the... Just calm down, okay? Some of you guys... So I, people send me things all the time. I got this post the other day. They're going to put a microchip inside the vaccine. Just calm down. Just, just calm down. It'll all be okay. A Christian... You know, this is the thing. You study the Bible enough, the mark of the beast will happen after we're gone, after the rapture takes place. And a Christian will not take the mark of the beast. We won't be deceived into taking it. It won't happen. So just calm down. They're going to put it in it. Just calm down. Because what you're doing is you're boasting yourself of tomorrow. You don't even know what tomorrow's going to bring. And maybe it is the chip and all of that, but we're going to be out of here before that happens, and then who cares? So just calm down. Just relax a little bit. Our battle is spiritual. Satan is using what's going on in our world as a spiritual battle. When you look at it at the end of the day, and I could give you story after story, and doctor, statistic after statistic. We've never shut our country down for something like this. This does not even compare to the influenza of 1917, not even close. And if people have done a better job of keeping the nursing homes better protected and not sending people back in, half the deaths wouldn't have taken place. And do you know what the, um, do you know what the, common, the average age of those who die from coronavirus you know what it is? 78. You know what the average life expectancy in the United States is right now? 78. Are you saying, Pastor, it's not a big deal? It is a big deal. Be careful. Be safe the things you do. But also don't live in fear. This is a spiritual battle. But you know what the problem is? We aren't ready for the spiritual battle. Paul tells Timothy here in this passage, he says, hey, I've given you a charge. There's some prophecies out there. Hey, and get fighting. But this is the problem. We don't put the armor on. You know, let's say there's a, there's a war going on outside the church here. There's tanks, guns, and everything else, and I go out in my suit to battle. I say, Pastor, that's pretty dumb. Where's your gun? 
Where's your outfit? Where's your things? Where's all this or that? And yet we face a spiritual battle every day. Hey, where's the helmet of salvation? Where's the breastplate of righteousness? Where's your belt of truth? Where's your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Where's your shield of faith to block all the fiery darts of the wicked and the sword of the Spirit? You know what the problem is and what Paul is talking about here is you got to be ready for the fight. Where's your shield at? Where's your sword? Where's the armor at? Are you ready for battle? Be ready for battle because we're in the battle today. And some people get shipwrecked because they're just simply not ready for the battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The next verse goes on to even say, they may have done all to stand. And it goes through, put your armor on. How do we, what's the remedy for shipwreck? In following and fulfilling and fighting. Letter D, in faith. It lies in faith. You see verse 19? He says, hold faith. That phrase, hold, means to lay hold on a thing to own or to possess for oneself. Paul is telling Timothy to stand in and for the truth. And Timothy was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He's telling him, keep the doctrine free from error and pure. I want you to understand something. The same applies for us today. We are not to listen to the enticing words of slick communicators. We are to hold close this book and make our decisions based on this book. You want to avoid shipwreck? Obey it. Read it and know what it says and bank on the promises, the prophecies, the fulfilled things. Put your armor on. Hold faith, not put away faith. And then letter, last one this morning, it lies in faithfulness. Lies in faithfulness. Paul says this, look at verse number 19 there. Holding faith and a good conscience. Now, every time I hear the word conscience, I always think of Jiminy Cricket. I don't know why it's just me. And always let your conscience be your guide. And he's going off as Pinocchio's going the wrong way to go get in trouble. I think we have the wrong concept of what a conscience is. You've got to understand something. You cannot trust yourself. Our heart's desperately wicked above all things. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's what the Bible says. And I, I read this book. I want to read you a paragraph or two. I want you to listen real close to these words. I believe that this sheds some real light about how the conscience is supposed to work. Are you ready? Listen up here. I find a great deal of misunderstanding even among Christians on what the conscience is. Many feel that the conscience is given to us to teach us the difference between right and wrong. But nothing could be further from the truth. No, the conscience is given to us, rather, to resist any deviation from the truth, from the right or the wrong that we know. If you think it is given to us to indicate what is wrong or what is right, you'll begin to rely upon your feelings to determine right and wrong. That is where many go astray. 
many young Christians especially, they think their conscience is their feelings, and if they feel something is right, then they do it. You have seen the bumper stickers that say, if it feels good, do it. People actually believe that is following their conscience. Because of that philosophy, thousands and thousands of lives are being warped and twisted. The conscience, get this right here, is given to us so that when we know what is right and what is wrong, it insists that we do the right and avoid the wrong. But it is the Word of God that teaches us what is right and what is wrong. A conscience sets a certain direction which resists any tendency to deflect it. Let's see. I skipped a line there. Our conscience can be set in a wrong direction, and it can guide us wrong just based on our feelings. Revelation, the Word of God, is what tells us what is right and what is wrong. So think about it this way. Conscience is given to us to help us know when we're beginning to fail or fall from the right path. In other words, a good conscience is a synonym for an obedient heart which wants to do what God says is right. That's what Paul's talking about. Wherever God speaks and you know what he tells you to do, regardless of your flesh or your feelings, say, obey and do what God says. And so I think you get what I'm trying to say right here. This book should be what guides what's right and wrong. If this book is right in life, then wherewithal shall young men cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. The word is so important. And when you get the word in, you can have a good conscience. Because your conscience can be like, that's why thy word have I hidden mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. It's amazing how the Bible knows all these things. Simply put, it's dangerous to operate on feelings apart from the leadership of God's word. And it's a recipe for disaster. A life that's not centered on this book has no spiritual framework to guide it at all. We need the Word of God. The Bible even talks about how our conscience can be seared, right? We don't need to trust and let our conscience be our guide. We let this book be our guide. In 1912, the world was fascinated with a boat called the Titanic. It was going to be one of the greatest ships ever. When you hear of the Titanic today, I don't think you think of a ship that was unsinkable. You think of many lives that were lost and things that happened. Or maybe some of you think of a movie where that lady's hanging off over the edge and Leonardo DiCaprio does something. I don't remember, but maybe you think of the movie. I don't know, but when you think of the word Titanic. But... How about you and me? When people look back at us, what are they going to think? I want what Paul said in my life. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. Look at what he did. He kept hold of the faith. 
what it really comes down to today, Christian, the difference between being shipwrecked and not being shipwrecked is what you do with this book. That's what it comes down to. Say, is it that simple? It's that simple, but it's that hard. If staying close to this book would be, was simple, everybody would do it. And you know, if prayer was easy, everybody would do it. It takes work. You want to stay on course and you don't want to get shipwrecked? Stay in this book. You want to mess up? Put it away. It's literally what it comes down to. What you need, Christian, in your life today is this book. Don't ever lose sight of it. Stay close to this book. This book has everything that we need for life. It has everything. It's the most important tool you have that God's given you. Stay close to it. Love it. Read it. Meditate on it. Keep the faith. You'll keep it if you keep it close. Hide it inside your heart. Keep it close. That way when this world throws things at you, you hear how crazy this world is. You got an anchor. You'll be fine. Hey, instead of being like the Titanic and being like, hey, there's an iceberg coming up ahead. There's some things in my life I need to clean up or I've got some trouble ahead. What they do on the Titanic? Ah, we'll be fine. Ah, I'll be fine. Pastor preached a message on being shipwrecked. I'll be fine. I don't need it. Same thing as the Titanic. That's what they did. Stay close to this book. And thank God he gave it to us. There are many people in many places around this world that wish that they could have the Bible that we do. And many of us have thousands of Bibles. That's not literally thousands, but several of them. And yet we don't read it. We don't spend time in it. Fall in love with the Word of God. Hold it close. Keep it close. And you can avoid being spiritually shipwrecked. And if you're past that point and you feel spiritually shipwrecked today, may I just remind you of something? You have a God who forgives, a God who will call you back. And uh, you want to know you, the recipe to fix a shipwreck? Same thing. Just get it back. Stay close to it. Obey it. Live it. You can avoid spiritual shipwreck. Stay close to this book. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time we've had this morning in your word. We thank you for your faithfulness. Pray that you would uh, bless our invitation this morning and bless this time that we have. And thank you for our church family and for who they are. And I pray this morning that if someone doesn't know you as their Savior, that maybe today would be the day of their salvation.